Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies. A while back, I asked for nominations for the fourth annual Discover Pods Awards. Well, last week, I found out that Behind the Bits is one of the 12 finalists in the Best Interview Style podcast. Holy cow. I was excited beyond belief. I am in the running with such podcasts as Armchair Expert, WTF with Mark Marin, and Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It's a real honor to have Behind the Bits be selected alongside some of these really popular podcasts. I mean, I listen to some of these myself. The winner of all the categories, including Best Interview Style Podcast, is decided by vote. So now I'm asking for your vote. If Behind the Bits has provided you with information or inspiration, please help me to win against these powerhouse shows. Winning this would help Behind the Bits reach a wider audience and open up possibilities for interviews with comedians who might not talk to me otherwise. Your vote means a lot to me, as Behind the Bits is a real passion project for me. Please check out the link in the show notes and give Behind the Bits a vote for Best Interview Style Podcast. I'm told that you can pick any or all categories. I haven't really tried that yet because I already voted. Thank you, thank you for listening, and thank you for voting. Please vote for Behind the Bits for Best Interview Style Podcast between now and November 6th. And here we are. We are live with Justin Foster. How's it going, Justin? Good. Good. Good morning, I guess I should say. We're yeah, three, hour, three hours different, right? It's like 3 o'clock where you're at, right? Yep, yep. It's, uh, right. it's afternoon for me and kind of just after afternoon for you so yeah exactly yeah. more more morning for me but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> afternoon <laughs> afternoon for most people yeah yeah no doubt holy cow justin i already know this but where are you from uh, originally dallas Dallas, yeah. texas yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you're in la now right i am yeah i've been out here about uh, eight years okay so okay great so how long have you been doing stand-up comedy uh, it's 15 years in July. Actually. Okay. I celebrated okay. 15 years in, in quarantine. So yeah, no, my, no. my first show was at the improv in Dallas and my last show was in my bedroom. And it's exactly where I figured I would be <laughs> alone <laughs> talking to my phone. <laughs> oh, it, it, I know it just sucks. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's, it's absolutely the worst. So starting 15 years ago, you must've been pretty young when you started. What, influenced you to start doing stand-up comedy was it other comics was it you know what what got you into it yeah so i was a waiter at the at, at the improv in dallas i okay. waited tables there and the money was like really good i had no interest in doing comedy i was just like my roommate worked there and she's like yeah it's really easy money and it's like you work at a comedy club and so she got me a job there so I, I was waiting tables there for a while and making good money and then i was like 
don't know, man. I just started seeing everyone do comedy like every every single like like Wednesday through Sunday. And uh-huh. I would see some of like the best, like the but now I'd also see these people that weren't that great. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I, I'm probably, I could probably be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I probably won't be the worst person on the show. Um, but it was really cool, like, starting out as a waiter at a comedy club because it's like, I mean, Bill Burr was featuring, uh, yeah. you know, Se- Sebastian Maniscalco was doing guest spots. Like, uh-huh. it was like, it was really cool. You got to see, like, everybody. And, um, yeah, so that, that kind of inspired me to, like, do, like, the, an open mic. You know, that, like, that cliche story where you do the open mic and then yeah. it's like, you're hooked forever. But that was pretty much my experience, yeah. Yeah. And any any of those comics that came through when you were waiting waiting tables, not just, not just like the Bill Burrs of the world, but did anybody really stick out to you and say, man, I want to be like them? Um. I remember I got to host for Daniel Tosh. Oh, okay. Uh, and I remember like being like, just like really love, like I really love like his style of comedy. Uh-huh. And, like he, it was like kind of like, I don't know, like quote unquote edgy, I guess, but like he just didn't really care. Uh, I really like that. Uh, Greg Giraldo. I was always like, oh, yeah. I always loved watching Giraldo. Um, I remember Patrice came through and did a weekend. Yeah. I just remember being like on the floor. So there was a lot of people like that. You know, what's really funny is like, I forgot who it was, but there was like this big name comic they had to cancel, right? Uh-huh. And it was like, we we're all really looking forward to it. And the management pulled us aside, like, this guy got a movie. He's not going to be here this weekend. So we, we have a replacement comedian. It's not going to be that busy. Uh, you guys probably aren't going to make a lot of money. So sorry about this weekend, but just kind of hang in there or whatever. So, the, and, and the, 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 the guy came in and it was Kevin Hart. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was like the replacement. <laughs> and I remember the staff, like, we were like just on the floor, like, die like, like we were watching every show and it was like this guy was like a monster and like there was like i don't know man like half like it wasn't even like half filled back then uh-huh. you know and uh and then it was really and then the next time he came back he was doing like a theater and then an arena and then like the football stadium or whatever but it was like really cool to be kind of like on the ground floor of that to be like this guy's like amazing yeah. you know so so there's a few of those comics that like really stood out to where we were like it's you know Sebastian like he was uh he was like one of our fa- he would come in and do like guest spots mm-hmm. and like feature and stuff and then if I'm not mistaken we might have been one of the first clubs to headline him uh, I okay. know we were the first couple of clubs to headline Sebastian but he was just like a staff favorite we had him every like six months uh-huh. um, so yeah it was things like that uh, you really got to see and like watch these these really great comedians right now being in the area of where the comedy is being done and just soaking all that up do you do you feel like maybe you got like a leg up when you did that first open mic you kind of knew that you're not supposed to do you know three minutes to between your punchlines and stuff like that (laughs) exactly no exactly it really being like surrounded by it all the time you saw like what worked what didn't work and then i had the advantage of like i knew who like the cool local guys were that were like killing it. So I like went up to them and I was like, Hey, here's my ideas. Can you guys help me? And we all sat down round table style. Like uh-huh. these, like the local guys that were like getting work, like yeah. helped me hammer, hammer out that first set and kind of taught me some things that I wouldn't have known, you know, uh, which was, yeah, it definitely gave me an advantage. I think. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so the next question is like totally off topic, but it's something I like to ask people because, um, I think I already told you I hate small talk, so I I, I like to talk about real stuff. Are yeah. you um are you like uh, 
getting into any books that you're reading, uh, any podcast you're listening to, any music, anything that's inspiring you, especially during this downtime? Sure. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Man. Like my friend was joking with me. He's like, man, you're the only one who's coming out of this, like, like flourishing. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I really am. I took like a, uh, I took like a nine week meditation course oh, cool. uh, via zoom from, from India. I, uh, I took in a couple of script writing classes. I'm reading a book right now called story, which is like, uh, that and save the cat are like the two, like skip script writing books. Like you have to have, and uh-huh. you have to read. So I'm really doing that. Uh, I retook a, uh, I retook a, a, a comedy class online from my very first instructor in Dallas who started offering it on zoom. Uh, okay. Uh, and it was like, yeah, I took, I first learned comedy from, and I was like, you know what, let me like check back in with this. So I did like this, like really intense, you know, writing course for stand up and came out like with all this new material and, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of like doing a lot of stuff that I haven't really been able to do because of traveling and stuff with comedy. You don't really get to sit down and dedicate. I learned how to play bass. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I just taught myself bass during quarantine. And uh, and so, yeah, I've been doing I've been very, very active and like uh, doing a lot of stuff during this. So well, that's that- like. You know, I totally applaud you for doing that because I got, you know, I'm, I'm on the other end of the spectrum where it's hard for me to even just get up and, and, but it's been better. I've, you know, I think when you commit to some stuff and the accountability you had with that class, then that, that makes a new sense of urgency and you actually get going and you don't feel like you're forcing yourself as much. And and, yeah, especially if, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I was done. Oh, I was going to say, like, especially like for like, for just from a, from an ego standpoint, like you don't want to take a class, a standup class and being the guy who's done it for 15 years and like show up every week and like be like, the oh worst yeah, one there. <laughs> <laughs> like have no, no material to pitch. And like the people who have never done it before are just like running circles around you. Yeah. So it really like, it really kept me accountable for sure. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, one, one of the questions I like to ask is, uh, and you can do like your top three, what comedy album or special would you say are your top three uh, Ooh. specials? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, that's really good. Yeah, I would say Patrice O'Neill. I actually just watched his Comedy Central special like two nights ago again. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Tell's Skank for the Memory, Skanks for the Memories, mm-hmm. which is on Spotify, is just like like perfect to me um and then you know what um i would say the for me like uh kings of comedy when, when i was young i remember watching you know uh bernie mag steve mm-hmm. harvey uh Cedric the entertainer and dale hugler like that was like that was like it for me like that was like i love that special so much before yeah. i even just, like got into comedy like that so i would say those three patrice uh, Atel and, uh, Kings of comedy special. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, it's, yeah. it's sad that we don't have Bernie anymore. Cause he was <sighs> definitely the strong one in that special. You know, what's funny is I, I went back and rewatched it recently and I had like this, like crazy new respect for Cedric, the entertainer set as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, which apparently was flipped. Apparently he had to follow Bernie on that special. Oh, okay. And if you watch it knowing that, it's uh it's kind of admirable because Bernie just absolutely just just rips the entire place apart. Yeah. And uh I I think I would have called it. I don't think I would have gone on if I was saying <laughs> but it's all right. Just let him keep going. But uh but yeah, those two, yeah, I re- actually rewatched it both of them are it's just a powerhouse uh uh set. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to watch and I, I don't 
consume a lot of TV media, but I watch the show he's on. I don't know what it's called, uh, but I've watched the show it's on, and they've got him so restrained uh, in that show. And you know, I know it's a TV show, and it's on yeah. network TV, and you gotta you, you gotta change certain things. But it's almost like you know, it's not really even him. But and, is that the one where he's like the neighbor? Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a black guy, white guy thing, and all yeah. the differences. And uh, yeah. I I just I just feel like they could have done so much more with him and he's just really just playing like you know a character yeah it's really hard network tv hasn't really they don't really take a lot of big swings anymore or like a oh, lot no. of chances yeah. uh, i'm a big simpsons fan like a diehard simpsons fan i've been listening to like the uh, i've been going back and watching the because i have all the box sets and all the um the the commentary and stuff of all the notes that they've gotten of like you can't do that you can't say this like eat like uh and how just restricted they were and that was considered like super edgy yeah <laughs> you know oh they like, i remember that at the time that was nuts yeah and it's like they were saying after the janet jackson the janet jackson thing at the super bowl uh-huh. that the stuff they could do got like cut in half like they couldn't oh. even show the cartoon characters nudity anymore they couldn't show bart's butt after that holy cow yeah that's nuts. Do you know Do you know Matthew Swakus? Because he loves your album, dude. Oh, awesome! Okay. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I do have an album out. I guess uh, I should have put that in my top three, but I. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been weird. It's like, yeah, uh, David Tell, Patrice O'Neill, and Justin Foster. Yeah, <laughs> that Justin Foster album was great. <laughs> um, so before we go off live here i wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about things that you're working on places you'll be and uh direct people to your socials and all that kind of stuff yeah you know i just direct everyone to instagram and youtube instagram is justin comic and youtube is the justin foster as far as where i'm gonna be like i really don't know it's still kind of up in the air right now um but i do uh put up stand-up clips sketches crowd work stuff uh, on both of those platforms also have an album on spotify that people can check out Uh, it's called dangerless and it's uh it's just my name justin foster and you can stream that for free yeah okay cool and you are going to be at the plano comedy festival coming up that's right this weekend i am yeah what night are you i'm a saturday and sunday okay are you are you in the roast battle I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not, which uh, I wish I was. I actually just roast battled my girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> the Jeff Ross thing. It yeah. Was, uh, it was like one of the, like, it was, it was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> they she put won. me. Spoiler. I, I don't know why, but they put me in the roast battle and I, I don't even know what I'm going to do because I've never done roasting before. I've been so roasted, fun. but yeah. I've never, I've never really done it. So I'll. I'll adapt. Yeah, but I'm, it'll be great. Yeah, I'm doing. I think I'm doing an early Saturday show, like the five or six p.m. one or something mm-hmm. like that. So that's cool. All right. Well, um, Justin, this has been the rapid round, and everybody watching, we're going to go off live and talk for real now, and uh, listen to the Behind the Bits podcast. This week's episode is Mister Showtime, David Scott. And it's one of my favorite episodes because for a zany guy, he got really serious about comedy and talking about Broadway, talking about the Rat Pack and stuff like that. It was a really, really good episode. So if you haven't caught that yet, make sure you check that one out. I've listened to you, like I said, on, on a couple podcasts and I was, it seems to me, I, I may be looking into this a little bit, uh, further than I need to, but it seems to me that right before the epidemic or the pandemic hit something was probably going to happen for you were were you like right on the edge of something 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just felt that momentum. And I, we'd started going from the guy that I tour with, we'd started moving from comedy clubs to like big theaters uh-huh. and, uh, you just felt that like 15 years of momentum just come to like a, just like a crashing halt. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like to think that I, you know, I've been around long enough that I can hopefully pick it back up and continue in some facet. Yeah. 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 I just, I just kind of watching and, and seeing where you were just watching the YouTube and watching the socials and going back a little bit. I just, I, I felt like something was happening. I've talked to so many people that were right on the cusp and, and, you know, I, I do like to get the, you know, like the super big names on the podcast whenever I can, mm-hmm. but it's not a focus for me because the people who are out there working for it, usually give better advice than the people who have already done it. You know, sometimes they forget what it takes. Uh, Not everybody's Steve Martin and can go back, you know, 20 years later and write a book about it. But, uh, right. But, but you guys are the ones who are in the trenches and that's, that's the ones I like to talk to. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we started moving up from, uh, from motel six to five star hotels and (laughs) People starting to pick you up and giving you rides instead of Ubering everywhere. And uh, I don't know. There's a part of me that, like, taking the career aspect away, it's part of me that really needed the break, too. And, like, uh-huh. obviously, I I never planned for a year <laughs> break during a pandemic. But yeah. there was a certain bit of, like, God, I need to slow down. I, I need to, like, I just need to, like like rest in my own bed and kind of relax for a minute. And then I got it. And it lasted a little longer than yeah. I hoped for. <laughs> the first month I was like, this is like the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me personally, because like, I was like, I was just like really worn out and um, it was hard for me to write. And I was just, cause you know, it's like, I don't know about you, but I'm always like, I'll just write in the hotel room or I'll write on the plane or yeah. I'll write. And, and you know, I never do. Yeah, I, It's like, it's just so worn out or whatever. So. Well, so it's just a ton of unfleshed out premises. It's just like, okay, you know, it's a sentence or two that could be absolute comedy gold and you never go back to them. And when right. you do, you forgot what, what you wanted to do anyway. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. That's the tough part. So thinking back all the way back to when you did that first open mic and, you know, your material was probably a little bit more polished than most open micers and, taking that experience what did it take from you to get to that experience to get like your first 20 minutes time-wise and work-wise um that's a great question i it took me a little bit longer because when i first started i just did like one-liners i just did kind of like set up punchline jokes which i still do i still really love mm. uh but I like, I loved David tell and like Mitch Hedberg and, and, and those guys. So I try to do not like the necessarily as dry delivery as, 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 as Mitch did where, where it wasn't just like set up punch. It was, yeah. it was disguised a little bit better, but essentially it was just kind of a setup punchline. So it took me a little bit longer to get 20 minutes, you know, because oh, if yeah. you're writing one joke at a time, it does, it is a little bit of a haul. And, uh, and especially in, in Texas where it's a little bit of a smaller market, I would take shows my first, I don't know, six months or a year where they were like, can you do 15? You're like, Oh yeah. When I had like four. Yeah. So I kind of just had to figure it out. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, what's really weird is like, I got really lazy and I just kind of was like, Oh, this is the set that worked. And I would like try to throw some new stuff in, but man, like I really didn't grow as like until I moved to LA. Mm-hmm. It was really the thing that like cracked everything open for me was, was moving out here. And, uh, 
And then like the 20 minutes turned into 30 and the 30 turned into 40, 40 and turned into an hour. Then I recorded the special or the album. And then I started from scratch. And then I was like able to like rebuild material a little bit more quickly. Okay. Um, just cause like out here, it just like pushes you. It pushed me to like really like step it up. Yeah. What was it about moving to LA that you made you step up like that? I think you have to, for me, it's like, I, I like you're around like the best of the best all of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's like, I mean, you'll do like a bar show and it'll be like, Hey, you're going to go up after Alonzo Bowden. Is that cool? <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> just killers all the time. And, and like, not even like big names, like dudes you've never even heard of and girls that you've never even heard women, excuse me, that uh-huh. you've never even heard of that have moved here. You know, and you're like, okay, you're like looking at the list to see where your name is. And you're like, okay, I have to follow these three people I've never heard of. And they're all just monsters. Cause they've also just gotten here from whatever town they were yeah. from. And, uh, and so I think it really pushes you like, man, like you got to really adapt out here. And then the flip too, there's a lot of crazy people out here too, that you have to follow. Uh-huh. You have to like really be okay with resetting the room when someone does something completely bananas as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like, like WWF ninja karate comedy all the time out here that, uh, you know, it's like, uh, like I did a show out here because like, there's like a couple of comedy clubs, but unless you're like a really big name, you're not working it very regularly. So you have to do like these off the spot places. And like, I, you know, it's like, I did a train yard where it's like every five minutes, a train would go through Uh and the DJ would cut the mics and play born in the USA. (laughs) And so it's like, you have to like, start and it's like when you get to like a comedy coming oh this is easy yeah (laughs) yeah no doubt (laughs) i just did a 3 p.m spot at a comic book store like this is you know homeless shelters i performed out out here so it's like that like Uh you really get you like really sharpen it yeah so as far as when you moved out there how many nights a week were you able to perform after you'd been there for a little bit you can get up seven nights a week here uh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You can do, you can do as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, it's, it's really, it's really cool. I mean, there's dudes, I mean, God bless them. I don't, but there's dudes out here before the pandemic that are doing like five, six mics a night, Uh every single night. Um, I'm kind of old and and cranky and I don't want to do that. But, uh, the, the younger, the younger kids that are like full of fire are like the, yeah, you can get a bunch right now. I hear the, you know, you came from the Dallas scene and you got like the Dallas scene, the Chicago scene, the Denver mm-hmm. scene, which are in and of themselves pretty good, but they're not, they're not New York and they're not LA. Um, they, what I've heard is they tend to be a little bit more tribal. They, they, they tend to uh, be a little bit more nurturing and everybody, uh, helps each other out and you can call somebody and get a decent gig and stuff like that. And then when you go to LA, it's like every man for himself. Is that how you felt about it? Yeah. Um, the Dallas scene has a really, really, really good reputation in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some Dallas comics that moved out here before us that have just like, just blew the door. I mean, I would take, I would put a Dallas lineup of comics against uh, every, any scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had like a good reputation coming out here. Like, Oh, you guys, you Dallas guys are going to come. Like you guys aren't really messing around. And so that helped a little bit, but yeah, you kind of have to start over and find your own like click in LA, you know, cause the, the people that you started with in your hometown can't really help you anymore. Like they're not the ones running the shows here. Mm-hmm. They're really not the, it's like the local LA dudes who are like in the scene, like that are doing the shows, doing the podcasts. So you kind of like, 
you all come out here together as a group like uh-huh. we did. There was a bunch of us that came out here. There's like 10 or 15 Dallas dudes that came out around oh, the same wow. time. Cool. And then you kind of branch out and everyone kind of has to like find their own way, really. Yeah. So out of you those, know? all those people that came out, the 10 or 15, how many are still there? All. I mean, you, I mean, really? it's like Chris, Christella, Alonzo, okay. uh, Tone Bell, Nick Guerrera, uh-huh. uh, Nick Guerra, Dustin Ibarra, um, you know, there's just like a, like a, just a solid group of people that are like working and killing it. There's a few people that moved back, but like I moved out here with a dude named Mark Agee, who like, once he got out here, just stopped doing stand up, And now he's like writing for TVs and uh-huh. like his, was living in New York, writing on Netflix shows. So like everyone kind of like found, you know, their own, their own kind of way. Yeah. Uh-huh. That seems like that's the story of the ages. Cause you hear about people like, um, like Alan Zweibel, who uh, worked for Saturday Night Live, he started out as a stand-up, and mm-hmm. and he found out he wasn't very good at it, but he was good at writing, and so you know he he wrote for a lot of people, and then got on Saturday Night Live, and you know mm-hmm. he he just killed it from there, and still yeah. writing, mm-hmm. yeah, and so it you do find your place you you mentioned you kind of hinted at the script writing stuff is that something that you're kind of leaning into right now yeah right now i have so much free time and uh so i'm kind of cranking out this uh this uh this script that um there's two there's one that i that i that i'm really excited about and i want to do but it's like uh it's going to be like a $200,000 movie. Uh-huh. And so, and I, I took a class. Like if you want to do a $200,000 movie, you have to do the $20,000 movie first, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I'm kind of like trying to do both at the same time. The one that I'm like really excited about. And then, um, and then I'm the one that like my first one that'll, that I can kind of fund on my own and, mm. and show that I can do it. So I can do the next one that I'm like really excited about. Yeah. Right. Right. That's, mm. That's cool. And do you go with humorous subject matter? Are you going for the drama, the crime drama? What? what, what? The one I'm really excited about is a heist movie. It's, okay. uh, it's full Ocean's Eleven, Usual Suspects, Ant-Man, uh-huh. heist, heist, <laughs> heist vibes that I can throw some comedy stuff in. Um, and then the first one, the one that I'm kind of like working on now that that's more easy to film is going to be like a Reservoir type of Reservoir Dogs um uh saw type of like one location uh mm. really easy you know i have uh i have a bar that i have access to that's kind of closed down during the pandemic so i'm kind of trying to write around something that can just take place at like one location yeah um you know it'd be like hey this is kind of what we can do and then so i can kind of get funding for the next one that's cool. but i got a lot of friends who are like really great script writers and have like done some like really cool stuff that are always just like yeah send me your stuff i'll give you notes up yeah so it's like I don't like, I have to like use that, you know, it's like, if I have all that at my disposal, especially now when no one's working, especially there's a lot of actors too. There's a lot of bit like actors who are like not working right now. They just want a project to do. Yeah. yeah. So it's now it's kind of a really good time to like kind of, kind of cash in on that. Yeah. That think, so let's, let's go back to before you started comedy and you wanted to think about what you wanted to do in your life. Uh, and maybe even before you started waiting tables at the comedy club, you know, was script writing was, was getting in show business, something that was yeah. on your mind. Okay. Always. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was in, I was in a, I was in bands for like forever before I did comedy. Um, I was like, was like, 
did like uh, acting stuff as a kid and uh, like in my yearbook, it's like most likely to become a comedian, most likely to become a talk show host, uh-huh. you know, that sort of deal. Um, yeah. So it was always kind of like, I always wanted to do something entertainment wise. I really dug the music thing and, tr- and, and playing music and, but that kind of switched to, to comedy and that sort of like that, but it's always been entertainment. Yeah. It's never really, the idea has never really been to do anything else. Uh-huh. And it seems like, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people during the pandemic, and it seems like you must have your shit together in some way that you can you can deal with. You know, you know, there's obvious disappointment because you're on a roll, and now you're you know kind of you know in limbo almost, and being able to lean into other projects and still keep keep writing and getting, getting your sets tight and stuff like that. Do you, is there some, I I mean, with the meditation and stuff like that, do you, do you feel like there's some way that you found a center that you didn't have before? Um, okay. Yeah, definitely. I think the meditation stuff helps so much because it gives you that break, right? Where it's just like, I'm not like, Oh my God, I'm obsessing and this, that, and the other, it kind of gives you that a little bit of pause where you go, yeah, like it's, it's okay. Like it's not that like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm telling dick jokes. Like it's going to be, it's going to be all right. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, if I get to do it again, which I probably will, then I'll just kind of start. It's really given me an appreciation of like, I took it so much for granted where I would just go and I would just bang out the show and the, like I did my first live show in front of people uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Oh God, I just appreciated it yeah. so much. And I was like, man, I really miss it. It gave me like a newfound, like appreciation for something that I took for granted for a few years. Uh-huh. So are going into this and as a person, are you somewhat of a spiritual person? Yeah. Yeah. Very. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, I, you give that aura that you've got uh, that, that you've got something that centers you and the meditation obviously helped it. So, yeah. Yeah. It helps me a lot because I can get really caught up with my own thoughts and what I have and what I don't have and what I need and what I think I need. And so like the meditation and the spirituality stuff really gives me that like pause of like, you're okay. Like everything's, everything uh-huh. is fine. And uh-huh. you know, and I so. guess that translates because I, you know, I did the the crash course on Justin Foster, watching all your videos, your live stuff, some some of the stuff you did uh, that was those minute long videos, the you know talking about you know the different subjects like uh, oh when the Facebook people were going to go to Area Fifty One and stuff. You're like right, that. yeah. And you seem very comfortable in just about any situation, and that goes into the crowd work that you do that seems a lot more natural than most people I see do do crowd work. Um, so you just kind of lean into it. You see something that, that looks interesting and you go for it. Is that something you've always done or is that something that came about later? It came about a little bit later. It used to be like really mean, like a lot of people's crowd works are where you like find yeah. audience member and you like make them the butt of the joke. Uh-huh. And and I felt really bad doing that. Like I, there was a sense like, oh, yeah, I got to laugh. But like at, at this person's expense, it felt like punching down a little bit. And I felt really guilty. So I kind of switched it up uh, a few years ago. Uh, I guess a little bit longer than a few, but uh, a while ago, I switched it up to where it was always like they were a part of it. I always kind of like yes and it and make yeah. it. 
And if they wanted to hang themselves, if they wanted to keep talking and say something completely stupid, like that was on them. Uh-huh. But I was never going to be like, that's yeah, a dumb shirt or, you know, whatever. Like, what do you do for a living? Well, that's stupid. Yeah, you know, right. it was kind of like, oh, that's awesome. And then let let it kind of come naturally. And that seemed to work a lot better for me. Uh-huh. And then they'll, they'll come up to me after the show. Like, that was great. Like, thanks. You know, they're like really excited to yeah. be a part of it versus like. Yeah, you're kind of a dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm on a date and you're making fun of me, you know? Uh, and I'll apologize. I'll straight up apologize on stage too. If I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that, you know, like if yeah. I feel like I've kind of gone to, and I feel people like respond to that better when you're, they know they're not going to be necessarily the, the butt of the joke. Right. And it, it, you know, I, as I watch that, it just feels like the, like you said, the whole audience goes away happy instead of you know 98 percent of the audience is happy but that two percent that you really (laughs) you really ragged on is just uh is just totally pissed off at you and they're going to be the ones to go on social media and say justin foster's an asshole or whatever yeah read a yelp (laughs) review to the club and the club's like they don't care about the 98 people that enjoyed it. It's the two people that are like pissed. Cause you, you know, they got a babysitter and you ruin their night. Uh-huh. That's a, my buddy, he's a professional clown. He does like, uh, like clowning stuff at uh-huh. children's hospital. And, uh, he's way better than me is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> but he's like telling me, he's like, Justin, like you really have a gift, you know, like these people, like they got a babysitter, they paid for parking, they got dressed up, they bought two items. Like they bought tickets to the show. It's like, like it's your job to like give them a good experience. Uh-huh. It's like, and, and I really like, I don't know why I never thought of that. It's like, it was very selfish of like, what can I get from this audience? How can they make me feel better about my, and then, then when he like explained to me like what people go through to actually go to the show, it make really made me appreciate the audience a lot more. Right. And there's a, I, I see two schools of thought that um, you're at war with the audience when you go up there and the way you win is to make them laugh. And then the the way you just expressed it is the audience came there to see you and you owe them the yeah the good show so that they do laugh yeah i mean there are shows where i'm at war with the audience but usually it's not the audience it's usually the conditions of the venue like yeah kind of, like you just have to go out there swing but for the most part i like to think like we're all in this together you know like they want you to win like they paid $30. Like they want a good show. They don't, mm-hmm. they're most of the time. They're not just gonna be like, well, prove yourself. A lot of times they're like, yeah, like we want this to work as much as you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like to play it as we're all on the same team. Uh huh. So thinking about thinking back, I almost everybody who's been doing as long as you spent a good amount of time as the feature act and mm-hmm. thinking about when you were the feature act, do you have any, experiences as a feature that just stick out to you that made you made you think okay a feature isn't so bad but i want to be done with this and well yeah i mean i used to 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 be to 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 full transparency i still feature okay Um, i have a friend uh i don't i don't know if you know drew lynch who was on america's got talent yeah he's so he take I still feature for him. Okay, he's he's the one that's doing a bunch of theater. So so I still feature a lot, mm. uh, and I and I love it. You know, I love headlining and being the the guy that people come to see. But I, there is there's a certain sense of being the feature, especially for someone who has a draw and a fan base, which is I love it. Um, so um, to answer your question, though, yeah, I remember. So I used to do a lot more crowd work than I do now. I used to mm-hmm. do a ton, a ton, a ton of crowd work. 
And I remember when I moved from feature to headliner, my feature was doing a bunch of crowd work. Oh, yeah. And I remember being like, oh, this kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> this uh-huh. is, And I remember texting the guy who I used to tour with and be like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on the other side of that before, um, where it's like the, now the headliner has to go clean up your mess because you've got them all talking and riled up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is. I, I like doing. I still like hosting sometimes too. I still mm-hmm. like going back to where. Uh, so I like doing all of it. But yeah, you know, there's a certain like when you're the headliner. There's a lot of things that you uh, have to deal with that you never thought about as a feature. You know, yeah. like the people before you, the shows running long, check drop. Oh, I mean, when mm-hmm. I first started headlining, people would get their checks, and I'm like, why yeah. is people not listening anymore? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so there's there's a. I like doing both. You know. Um, there is a coolness of, of featuring there where like the pressure's just off, you mm-hmm. know, you're not the host, you're not responsible for kicking off the show. If you just are terrible, the headliners, they're there to see the headliner anyways. Yeah. So there's a, you can really take a lot more chances at a feature as a feature. And I always r- tell people who are featuring, like use it to like try new stuff and like uh-huh. really figure stuff out. Cause it's like, it's just a, it's just like the cush spot. Right. They're already yeah. warmed up and they're not drunk yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I get two schools of thought from people who headline and um, the uh, one school of thought for headliners is feature act needs to stay in their lane. They, they need to, they need to do what a feature is supposed to do, which is bring the audience up to this level and be done with it. And then I talk to other people who are actually uh, pretty darn good comics who want that feature act to push them to make them, to be so good that it makes you have to be that much better. Which one, which one do you like? I, well, I've noticed it's an age thing. I noticed um, that a lot of the comics have been doing it for like a really long time. Mm -hmm. They're like, kid, (laughs) (laughs) we get it. You're funny, but I'm just like, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to work that. I'm tr- I got some stuff I'm working on. I'm trying to, you know, I try to do this. And I noticed that like Drew, who's like young and like working on, he wants me to cut his head off every single night. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants that. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, so I think it's kind of like, and I've got, I've, I've definitely been on both sides of that before. We're like, Oh my God, this feature is killing. I got to step it up. Cause I'm uh-huh. last. And, and I've also been like, dude, I'm off of an airplane. I've been traveling for eight hours. Like I uh-huh. just rolled in, like <laughs> we get it. You're good. Like dial it back a little bit. You know? <laughs> so I see both sides. Yeah. I definitely, especially as a headliner, cause you got to do twice as long. You got to deal with the drunk uh, people, you know, the alcohol setting in boredom, right. especially now with social media. God, man, social media has killed, killed attention spans for audience members. Oh, it's yeah. brutal. You see them, you see them like, I haven't checked my phone in five minutes yeah. it's, and you know, you got 40 more minutes to go. Yeah. So I, I see both. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily love it when the headliner's like, Hey, don't do this. Don't say that tone it back. But mm-hmm. I can, I also understand when they're like, kid, <laughs> like <laughs> just tone it down. Yeah. Like, this is not that type of weekend. I got, I just did an hour that's on Netflix and I got to come up with a new hour and uh-huh. so I'm trying to work on stuff. Yeah. I understand both. I'll never, I'll never judge that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the, um, uh, social media and I, you know, I am right at the edge of just 
deleting everything. And, and, you know, I watched that Netflix special with my wife and, and I, it, it worries me. And so I've really cut back. I turned all my notifications off and stuff like that. But in the comedy world, it almost, it's necessary almost to be out there unless you are like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld or something like that. The, the, uh, you know, even Gaffigan works the works the social media like crazy, and mm-hmm. so it's it's really hard. A lot of people have stepped back from their personal pages and just done the comedy page. How do you feel about all that? Well, I saw that documentary too, and it really affected me um, because I fall into that category of where it's a borderline addiction. You know, it's yeah. uh, so so. I've kind of I've deleted everything off my phone. All the apps are off the phone. And so when I'll need to post something, I'll do it from my laptop. You know, mm-hmm. I have no problem like posting a joke and a video and a tweet and then stepping away. Being like, yeah. I don't care how many views it gets, how many reactions it gets, how many shares, how many likes. Like I did the thing and then I'm off. Yeah. And I've been doing that for about a month now. And uh, I've been I've been a lot happier now. Mm-hmm. Is that going to last? You know, I don't know. Am I going to be on the road and download all the apps and stare at it for hours again? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying not to. And it's been about a month now. And my mental health has been a lot better for sure. Yeah. For sure. I would agree. And I would think it really kicks up the creativity part too, because I mean, you know, half of what you're doing on social media is looking at other people's jokes and saying, Oh shit. Why didn't I think of that? And mm-hmm. yeah, I sent. I mean, I sent one to my son the other day that somebody else wrote and I said, this is my joke. I mean, I, I could absolutely write this and he's like, yeah, that's you dad. And, yeah. but I didn't, so it's not mine and I can't. So, <laughs> and that yeah. just frustrates you. Yeah. And there's also a sort of like depressiveness of, um, I'm kind of a news junkie and I, you know, you get on Twitter to post a joke and then you're looking at what's going on in the world. And it's like yeah. three hours later, it's like, ah, oh, it's weird. I wonder why I'm horrifically depressed right now. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> just been staring at my phone and reading terrible stuff for the last five hours. Yeah. So, so getting rid of all that and not being uninformed and not knowing what's going on, but limited doses. Yeah. Like there's nothing that's happened where I've been like, Oh, that's crazy. I didn't hear about that. But it's also like, I don't have to read other people's opinions on the thing that happened. Right. Right. So that's kind of where I draw the line. So go, go, going back to the crowd work, I know that it's not as big a part of your, of your set as it used to be, but it just seems like a natural part of you that you want mm-hmm. to talk to people. How do you feel that? Okay, comedy audiences. I'm you. You've been all over the country, obviously, and mm-hmm. comedy audiences. Do you feel like different areas have different tolerances of how much bullshit they can take and uh, the the type of act that you do and stuff like that? Like you know, take you know east coast west coast midwest north south whatever however you want to do it um when you say like bullshit what do you mean um well talking about the um uh first off the uh the crowd work so Uh you say you don't you don't want to punch down but uh, you know i feel like okay I'm, i'm a midwest guy i feel like in some clubs 
uh, in the Midwest that you could actually, even if you're just saying hi um, to somebody, they could feel like you're punching down um, or the go the other way and think that they're your best friend and they are part of the act. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, I was actually going to say Midwest is the best for that in my experience. Yeah, uh, the Midwest crowds love it. They love to be part of the show. They le- they love to be messed with and and talked about. Um, I would say the Midwest and South, they just like eat it up, yeah. you know, um, and, and West coast is a little bit hard. A lot of people here are a little too cool for school. You uh-huh. know, it's like, you're going to do crowd work on a guy who has more IMDB credits than you normally. And like, <laughs> the, so Midwest is like, they love like, You can like, like, they don't like even like really like punching down and like, they're like, Oh, that was great. Like, I loved it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <"Hi>, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love performing in the Midwest. Um, there is like a certain like cap sometimes when it's like if the show goes too long on like a Saturday night where like the booze definitely you can it's like a noticeable like the booze kicks in yeah. and yeah. they're a little rowdy. But um, but yeah, um, at the most crowds, there's like this weird thing of like oh what's PC and what's not PC and what can you say and what you're not going to say. And it's like performing all over like i've noticed like as as if it's funny like the audience like pretty much go along with you there's like this like there's this notion that comedians can't say anything anymore and you Mm -hmm. gotta be and it's just like again it's like my rule is like never punch down crowd work or punchlines. and as long as you're not doing that like they'll go along with you i mean from what i've seen like audiences are pretty there's not a lot of like oh you can't say that it's 2020 yeah yeah (laughs) you know um, you know, maybe colleges and like super like on the coast, there's a lot of venues that are like that for the most part, everyone's like, yeah, if it's funny, like we'll laugh, you know, yeah. I've seen, I don't know. That's just a thing. People go, how's it like doing comedy in this current political climate? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that has a lot to do with it. My act is very like me based, you know? And so it's really hard for people to be like, oh, you can't say that. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not really like trying to, I'm not trying to change anybody's mind politically or, or anything like that. So I kind of have like a little bit of a leeway, I guess. Right. What I'm saying. Yeah. One of, one of the guys, uh, Tom Dreesen's one of my, you know, one of my friends and one of my, one of my idols. Um, uh-huh. And he talks about the healing properties of laughing and comedy and how, you know, we're doctors, uh, in in some sense, do you, have you ever had somebody come to you and say, man, you really took me out of a funk or you, you know, your show really did something for me and they walked away, maybe even a better person because they watched you perform. Yeah, a lot. And it's always like surprises me because like co- comedian. Well, no, I can't speak for every comedian. A lot of comedians are very really depressed people. Yeah. So it's like when they're yeah. like, I was really depressed. I saw your show and you're like, I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you had a good day. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny to me because, again, going back to like my act, like I'm not like it's just like oh my god i was like a you know we've heard everything you know it's like oh my sister died in a car crash last week and we came to the show to forget about it and like you really changed our mind i'm like i i just talked about my girlfriend giving me a hand job while watching forensic files yeah. like, i'm glad that i you know <laughs> thank you thank you for putting me in the same healing powers as gandhi but i uh, you know it's like <laughs> uh it's funny to me but i like that it's just like we just came to forget about it and like you guys did that so thank you like that always like feels so good yeah and i i guess i feel like there's no bad 
comedy as far as uh so some people think that they're you know they're more highbrow like you know take yeah. take take like a lewis black they say they say that he's you know more intellectual or whatever in in his comedy but i feel like and I don't want to get on a soapbox here. I think no matter what your station is, as far as a comedian, whether you're, uh, you're headlining theaters and you've got six Netflix specials or you're, um, a feature act, everybody, when they walk up to the mic, they're all at the same place and yeah, because yeah. they need to make people laugh. Yeah. Celebrity can get you a little bit of a, a leeway. Yeah. Like if you're like a big like actor that they're excited to see, mm-hmm. it, it'll give you about 10 minutes of fluff. But then eventually they're like, OK, let's hear the jokes now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so no you're doubt. right. Yeah. Eventually we all start at the same spot. Yeah. 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 You can't you can't write on that for very long in a set. Right. Have you run into anybody in your travels that you think should be a lot bigger than they are? I think Paul Varghese, he's a comic in Dallas. I think he should be one of the biggest comedians there is. Okay. Um, he, uh, I think he's just absolutely brilliant. He's like a really good friend of mine and, uh, he, but he lives in Dallas, you know? And so mm-hmm. there's like that, that glass ceiling is kind of there. Uh, but he's like that dude where you're like, uh, give me a joke about hot dogs and I go hot dogs. And he'll like, and then there's like 50 jokes about hot dogs. Wow. It's just like a machine, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he's done stuff. I mean, he did JFL. He did uh, just for laughs. Like they emailed his AOL account. Like no management, <laughs> no agent. Like he did fresh faces. Uh-huh. He uh, last comic standing. He toured India with Gabriel Iglesias. Like mm. uh, he's done a bunch of stuff. I just think uh, I think he should be the I, like Dave Chappelle. Like requests him when he comes to Texas. You know, uh-huh. like he's like like he's like the guy. Uh, I, I think he should be like the biggest comedian in the world. But you know, right. So, so do you think that that's a matter of the, he just hasn't been discovered yet or is he kind of doing that by choice? Yeah, I think it's living in, in, in Dallas. I think, um, you know, he, it, but it's getting, it's like such a, it's such a weird thing too, because it's like, Oh, you can move to LA and like slum it for years and hope that you get a TV show to do more comedy or you do what he's doing, which is doing comedy all of the time and making yeah. a living, you know? Right. So it's like, you, you know, like he still like makes his money doing comedy, which is like what everybody wants to do. So it's like move to LA and get that thing to do the thing that you're already doing type of deal. Uh-huh. It's like, you may not be like, everyone knows who you are, but you still get to do comedy every single night. So right. it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And on the other side of the coin, are there other people, are, are there people who are at a, uh, higher station than you think maybe they deserve to be based on their, and I'm not, I'm not looking for names. This isn't a name dropping podcast, but um, that they are much better at the business of promoting themselves than they are at the actual comedy. Yeah. 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 There's like that joke where it's like the Duke comedian uh, does an open mic uh, second gets business cards first. Yeah. 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 I mean, dude, especially out here in L.A., I've seen people muscle their way onto TV shows. I've seen people muscle their way onto tours uh-huh. to, to that 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 are not ready. Yeah, they're just so persistent and so good at the sales part of it that they that they get stuff. You know, uh-huh. they're just relentless. I'm not like that. I'm not the best at like advocating for myself. I need to get better. Um, I might be further along in my career if I was more of a champion of myself, but 
some people are just like undeniable, undeniably focused of like, they should be here when the talent's not quite there. Yeah. And God bless them, man. You know, that's a talent in and of itself. Right. And it's, there's such disparity between having a business sense and a, um, art sense, you know, it, 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 those two minds don't go together. So if you lean heavily into one, then something is going to be missing in the other one. So there's mm-hmm. got to be some sort of a balance there. And I guess I, I, I've seen, you know, I've watched so many Netflix specials during this thing mm-hmm. that I've turned off after 10 minutes because they weren't good. And yeah. Yeah. And, and and it just was, it was either formulaic or it wasn't, it, it was either, you know, stuff I've seen before, or it just wasn't well put, well put together. It it just turned me off completely very quickly. And, and I'm like, they're there. And I've seen people at the freaking club in South Bend, Indiana, that just totally kick their ass. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've seen it too. Like the local guy in town, you're like, who are you? Like, why are you not, you know, why aren't you on Netflix? And people say that to me all the time. Why don't you have a Netflix special? Like, I don't know. Call them. Yeah. (laughs) I'm here. I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, I have noticed that my girlfriend, she's a comic. She's very funny too. We've sat down we've tried to watch a few specials during, during this and just be like, Oh my God. That's like people who like you, you would expect. Yeah it to be good and it's like man like yeah. that is like not that's just you're writing on that status you're yeah. writing on the name and you're kind of um and then there's dudes who like jim jeffries his special is like incredible and oh yeah he had, yeah that had every reason not to be good yeah you know, he's like cranking them out every year and like that was amazing so yeah. yeah um but yeah i do notice that i like i would love i understand it's a budget thing and it's a money thing i would just love if netflix was like all right here's all these people you've never heard of here's uh yeah you know, here's i don't but you know i get that wouldn't make sense but well and i think they could do like uh, a type of thing like what youtube does and like a creator studio and mm-hmm. you just put the stuff you, you upload it i mean you do your own production and stuff like that you put it up there and make it available and then you get paid on how many people watch it and be done with it. And they're, yeah. they're not out of dime on that except for server space. That would be cool. You drive everyone to your own personal Netflix thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually yeah. a really good idea. Netflix is crazy picky, man. Like I know big name people that they've like friends of mine that they've passed on. They like, they've sent them their stuff and they're like, yeah, we're not even going to look at it right now. We've already got our lineup for the next like year and a half, two years. Uh, and then they've got that total shit out there. It's just, and then you go, Oh, really? You passed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who is making decisions? Oh man. Yeah. Netflix. Call me. I'm ready. If yeah. Uh, I'm down the street. Let's go. Thinking about what we're in now, the pandemic and you've done some, uh, virtual shows and you're doing some, do you feel like there's some elements of the uh, virtual shows that are going to outlive the whole pandemic? And maybe that's going to be a part of comedy going forward. I think so. Yeah. I think it might be a hybrid of stuff, which would be cool if like a comedy club sells like subscription services. So you could like watch someone's weekend set from home from Mm -hmm. any part of the country. That would be cool. I know tone bell and, uh, 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 a couple of people out here, Bubba Gentry, a couple of people out here are developing. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's um, it's a studio and it's all screens and it's oh. all Zoom people. Um, 
you know, hundreds, you oh, know, wow. and it's, it's 360. So I know that they're kind of trying to develop that into something to where like, you can do late night appearances during the quarantine on this thing, uh-huh. like possibly and do specials. And like, I mean, it's like hundreds of squares of people that can tune in and like, and you can play, you know, you can play to them and turn yeah. around and I mean, big, 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 big name people are doing it. Yeah. It's a, it's a studio here in California. So that I I'm thinking that may be a permanent thing that could take off. Uh, you know, I've really been liking the, I think the open mic thing will stay virtual. I think there's, yeah. it's really cool to do open mics just yeah. from your bedroom. You know, the show thing, you really need that live audience, but I've gotten more out of doing open mics, uh, uh on the phone. And then I have like actually driving around and parking and doing real ones sometimes. Yeah. You, so you that get, may stay. You get better feedback. People aren't all, they're not all, uh, centered on what they're going to do. Um, yeah. they, you know, they're relaxed enough that they can actually watch what you do and, uh, give the proper feedback. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think the mic thing may stay. And then the subscription thing, I think outdoor and drive-through comedy things, people are, that's people are kind of digging that. That may yeah. be a thing. It's just hard to be like, it's hard for me to like, regulate it's hard to like how to how you regulate like it's so hard like when you have a drunk heckler could you imagine a drunk person with a horn yeah like how do you just like <laughs> just like that can just ruin the evening so I, I don't know i haven't done any of those yet but uh the outside shows have been cool yeah yeah so. it's uh it's 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 different and i've done a couple but it's i'm on a loading dock in a whiskey company and mm-hmm. the people are so far away that uh, and with the lights and stuff you can't really see what's yeah. going on and uh, fortunately my wife's been with me when i've done them and i i, I go back and i say did anybody laugh because <laughs> Yeah. And I'm, I'm old and hard of hearing anyway. And I usually don't have my hearing aids in when I'm up there and, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, this is where they laughed. And so I had to record my last one just so I'd know where the just laughs so you know. came. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. It's crazy. Like I couldn't imagine like starting comedy during all this. Like I did a, an open mic and it was someone's like first show or mm-hmm. like, just, just sit this out. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely difficult. It, it really bums me out. I keep getting notifications on my phone of all the shows that I was supposed to be like. You were supposed to be uh-huh. in Florida this week. Do you want to check? And it's like everything that got canceled for this year. I was like, I had so much booked, so it's a little depressing. I got to turn those notifications yeah. off. But um, <laughs> I have a lot of flight credits, so yeah, so good. I got a lot of Southwest. <laughs> if you're a working comic, that's my only piece of advice for anyone: is always fly Southwest. Yeah, no, <laughs> no matter doubt. what. Yeah, yeah. We we actually do the Capital One card and that way we can use it for anything but mm-hmm. yeah that 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 works for us because i've got my kids are in dc area and huntsville alabama and here i am in south bend indiana so yeah you know, we, we were flying a lot before the pandemic now we're driving mm-hmm. so yeah I had, a, I had a comedy manager be like that was like her only piece of advice to me is like fly southwest yeah <laughs> and i was like do you want to sign me? She's like, no, fly Southwest. Like, okay. uh, got it. But yeah, you can change. You can change. I mean, I've like not liked the layover the night before the show. I'm like, oh, there's bad weather in Chicago. I'd rather have a layover in Wisconsin. They used to change it for free uh-huh. oh, 20 minutes cool. before. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I got a lot of flight points and uh, I'm going to be, dri- I'm going to be doing some driving. I'm driving from Dallas to Florida in November for a wedding. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm going to hit the road a little bit, non-comedy related. Yeah. Yeah. The driving, the driving's a pain, but there is a few less people on the road. So it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. And there's something kind of nice about like, I don't know about how Indiana is, but California, I've been in my house since March. So it yeah. is kind of nice. I can hit the road and yeah, 
see something different than yeah. the, the carport and the fire smoke. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, one of the things I like to ask everybody at the towards the end of the interview is uh, what three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started out doing stand up? Oh, that's great. Three things I knew that I know now that I wish I would have known. Uh, cuss less, definitely, for sure. For sure, write less mm-hmm. cuss words. Um, um, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, uh, I, I got, I got, I had a, a club manager pull me aside one time and scold me because I said the F word too many times. Oh, okay. And he goes, you're you're a feature you get two or three maybe per set as wow. a feature you know <laughs> I, I was like man i really wish someone would have told me that a long time ago um that one i guess the punching down thing that i came to the if you if you punch up audiences will go with you mm-hmm. almost anywhere um and then be professional like that's one thing that i really because i was like tw- in my 20s when i started comedy so it's like showing up late and yeah. drinking too much, running up a tab just cause it's free yeah. and just <laughs> running the line. Like now I like the first person to show up to the show, even if I'm the headliner, uh-huh. you know, like I've been to shows where, the, where I've beaten the host there by 45 minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> just be professional. I think is like the main is, it, is really important. It just makes it so much easier. Yeah. That's great. It's so funny because I ask almost everybody those questions and it's either three things on the business side uh, or three things on the performance and creative side. And it's funny because a lot of people on the business side, they just got screwed so many times, you know, not paid and, you know, uh, traveled to a venue and they didn't actually have a hotel reserved and stuff like that. And, and that's the, I think they got screwed so many times that they think more business and people who haven't been screwed as many times think more creative. Yeah. It's really good to ask questions. Yeah. Really, you know, in the beginning you're just happy to get the gig and now it's like, well, where am I staying? Yeah. Who, you know, how much am I getting paid? Yeah. I always try to like not be disappointed. I always try to go into a gig just assuming that everything's going to be terrible. I'm not going to get paid any money. And, yeah. And then it's like, Oh wow, everything worked out. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> the check didn't bounce. This is pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Now, I know we did this at the top of the show, but I want to make sure everybody who lasts through the end of the show, um, let, let everybody know where they can find you and oh, yeah. uh, what you're working on. Yeah, uh, Justin Comic on Instagram, Justin Comic and YouTube, The Justin Foster. Like you were saying, all my crowd work stuff mm-hmm. and sketches and talk show stuff is there. I'll be at the Plano. Oh, this will probably be out by then, but I'll be or over by then. Right? I don't know. Yeah. I'm at the Plano Comedy Festival this weekend. Yeah. You missed it. I was great. I have an <laughs> album on Spotify. Uh, just type in Justin Foster on Spotify, and uh, you can stream it for free. All right, cool. I've got a. I, I just got a green screen for Plano because I'm. Uh, I, I like what I've got going on back here, yeah. but uh, I'm going to actually be standing up. So uh-huh. when I think about it, uh, it's not so good. So I got a green screen. I got a big tension rod coming. See cool. what I can see what I can do with that. And I'm bummed we're not on any podcast. shows together. I wish that we were on one of the shows yeah. together. Well, I'll probably watch yours anyway. I think I get to watch them all for free. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Doing, my, uh, do, and doing Zoom crowd work is actually fun. Uh, it is, isn't it? You know, I've gone into a mic and I just didn't feel like doing anything. So I just did Zoom crowd work. And it's funny. You get a few people who just aren't having it. They don't want to talk to you. Um, yeah. And I kind of dig into them a little bit, but 
the other cool thing is the ones who who do want to talk to you and they send you a message afterwards saying i didn't know you could do crowd work in zoom that's really cool <laughs> that's funny you just start making fun of people's bedrooms and stuff yeah yeah that's the one thing zoom has taught me is how disgusting most of my friends live that's oh, the yeah. one thing i've noticed like you're 40 why is there a mattress on the floor in the background what are you doing <laughs> maybe empty the trash you know? yeah what's going on over there looks like it looks like a dexter kill room like yeah. what's happening over there <laughs> well thanks so much for being on the show justin this yeah thanks for having me and i learned very a lot fun. from you thanks oh cool lot. thanks for having me yeah this is very fun thank yeah. you